Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. Even though in his memory banks, Jesus could recall the glory that he had shared with the Father. He could recall the majestic praise and worship of the angels that was constantly directed to him. He could remember all the beauty and the wonder of the celestial courts. And though he could remember all that and he knew it was his by right, he laid down his life for us. I thank the Father that he sent the Son who was faithful even unto death, the death on the cross. Because of the death of Christ, we have hope and we have life and we have purpose once again. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. That's what we're celebrating is God sending his son and his son who was obedient and faithful for us on our behalf that we might have new life in him. Now we come to that new life by faith. This is what we've been looking at in the book of Galatians, that the authentic gospel is not about some religion. It's not about things that we do to make God love us and accept us, but rather the gospel is about Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us that we might live. And now we are crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but the life we live, we live by the power and by the faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. The authentic the gospel is about God's working in us through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring us into new life. And our connection to that gospel is one of faith. We trust. We believe. We come to Christ and we give our life to him. And having done so, then we begin the journey of faith. And then it gets hard for us. Then it gets difficult. Because the world's not in favor of our salvation. The world is not cheering us on to live for Christ. The world is not designed to, or designing itself to make it easy for us to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, the world is working against us. Jesus said, don't let that surprise you. If they crucify the master, just think what they're going to do to the students. And so as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, we enter into a world where it's hard and difficult. And that's why we understand the disciples coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, increase our faith. It's found in Luke chapter 17. We uh, looked at it a moment ago. You may want to have that in front of you. We're going to look at it for just a moment. But the apostles came to the Lord and they said, increase our faith. Jesus, we've seen you do these amazing things. We've seen you cleanse the leper. We've seen you open the eyes of the blind. We've seen you lift up the lame and make them walk, even raise the dead. Lord, increase our faith. That seems like a pretty good way to live. 
We'd like to do that too. Increase our faith so that we too can go out with that same confidence and that same boldness and face the world and face the evil one and have the, the, the victory that we see in you. Lord, increase our faith so that we too can just sort of shine. See, that's the way we would, we would ask. Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith, Lord, because I have doubts. I have questions. Not everything makes sense to me. Lord, increase my faith because I sense within myself so often that, that when it comes to the moment of, of obedience, I, I tend to hang back a little bit. And when it comes to the point of just trusting you, I, I, I find that hard to do sometimes. So, Lord, increase my faith. Do whatever it is you do so that I don't have these doubts anymore. That's what we're talking about. Do you know how silly that is? You know what we're saying? We're saying, Lord, increase my faith so that I won't have doubts and so I won't need faith. That's what we're saying. But the disciples came to Jesus. They said, Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said to them, he said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed. Folks, I know nothing about gardening. Some people have a green thumb. I have a negative green thumb. You know, some people can just grow things. I can kill things. I mean, if you've got a plant in your house that you don't like, just threaten to give it to me. I can kill plastic flowers. I mean, that's, that's how good I am at, at that. But I am told, and so I believe, that a mustard seed is like really, really small. It is proverbially the smallest thing you can think of. And so when Jesus said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, he's saying, if you had microscopic faith, if you had faith, it might be so small that you have to put it under a microscope with a bright light and a magnifying lens of some order of magnitude, then you, you, you might have the kind of faith we're talking about. But if you just had this microscopic faith, just the teeniest, tiniest bit of faith. Now, the one thing about Jesus was when he talked to his disciples, you know how often he called them, O ye of little faith? He called them, you little faith guys, you know. What's with you? Maybe that's what they were sensing. And in fact, Jesus was saying, you know, you've already got what you need. It's already there. You're with me? I said, come, follow me. You follow me. That's what faith is. He said, so if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, here's what. You can say to this mulberry tree, by the way, mulberry trees are safe with me. I don't know what one is. And, and it, it almost doesn't matter for, the, for this thing. But you, you could say to a mulberry tree, be rooted up, which is a pretty good deal anyway. You know, mulberry tree up, you know, just do one of those things. Mulberry tree, be rooted up and planted in the sea. Now, other times Jesus said you could say to a mountain, be cast into the sea. So you have this, this mountain just sort of launching into the ocean, the big tsunami resulting. But, the, you know, with the mulberry tree, it's even better than that. You know, lift up the mulberry tree, put it in the sea, and it... It's planted in the sea and begins sinks down roots and begins growing in the sea. You talk about walking on water, you're growing on water. Hydroponics right there. I mean, it's in the Bible. <laughs> he said, but if you had that kind of faith, you could get a mulberry tree to do something fantastic. So guys, the question isn't the size of your faith. The, 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 the question is not... How big is your faith? You know, when you're saying increase your, your faith, you know. 
See, when I want more faith, when I, when I want more faith, I want it so that I can just sort of walk through life about six inches off the ground. I know that God is with me, and He will take care of me. Trials, tribulations don't bother me. The suffering, the agony, oh, I can face it. I just sort of walk around with that little coat hanger halo over the head, you know, and, and just, you know, and you people would just be amazed. You would be asking me to go to conferences and make videotapes for you. I mean, this is what I want, more faith so that, that I can be like that. And Jesus says, that's not the issue. Here's what the issue is. Not so much faith as faithfulness. I can say that because the Greek word for faith is also the Greek word for faithfulness. In, in, in Galatians 5.22, when we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, the word there for faithfulness is the word for faith. And the word here for faith is the word for faithfulness. And so the, the two terms are, 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 are locked together. The concepts are locked together. And so that faith, as small as it might be, needs to grow into faithfulness. Now, here's what he, what he has to say. That, that's why what follows uh, it, it, it is connected to this question of the disciples. It's not like Jesus said, well, you know, if you had faith inside the mustard seed, mulberry tree would be uh, planted in the ocean. Yeah, oh, 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 wow, there's a rabbit there about this guy with a servant. No, it's still the topic of faith. Still the topic of faith. And Jesus put it this way in verse 7. He said, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Now, here's a fantastic thing. Uh, no human master does that. Human master says, you've been out in the fields, you've been out plowing. That's your job. That's what I pay you to do. But our Lord, when we come in from the field and we're tired and, we ex and we're exhausted, our Lord says, come, sit at my table. Jesus says, come, and I will serve you. Do you know what that means? The scion of heaven serving us. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve, give my life a ransom for many. So the picture he's drawing here is, is, is coming out of the, the normal kind of thinking that human beings have. And as so often in the gospel, Jesus transcends our normal thinking. So we, we keep that in mind. But he's setting up this scenario and he says, so which one of you, you have a servant, he's out taking care of your sheep, taking care of your field, plowing things, and he comes in. Which one of you says, hey, come in. Let me serve you. Come here, have something to eat. In verse 8, he says, Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly? Oh, you better dress properly. You've been out in the fields plowing? I want you to look the part, guys. <laughs> By the way, that's a whole sermon in itself. I want you to dress properly. Um, uh, never mind. <laughs> I'll let you fill in the blanks on that one. Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterwards, you will eat and drink. So, you know, keep, keep the, the order of things. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? 
Now, a thank you goes a long way. Uh, the best managers of people know that a good thank you uh, works wonders. And there's nothing wrong with thanking somebody when they've done their job. I mean, you go to the store and, and you buy something. You go, well, I use, you, know, you don't even go up to the clerk anymore. They have this little box. And it's why I don't buy anything. I'm scared to death of the thing. You know, you swipe your card. But if there's a checkout person there, um, you know, and you've swiped your card and you've got your thing, as you're walking out, you say, well, thank you. Why are you thanking them? They should thank you. You just bought something. And you paid more for it than they think it's worth. That's called a profit. <laughs> but, you know, thank you is kind of like a good thing to do. And it, and it just sort of appreciates people and that kind of thing. But, but Jesus said, you know, are you obligated to thank the servant? When the servant comes in, he says, oh, thank you, servant. I'm, I'm so appreciative. I mean, you didn't have to do this. No, you, you had to do this. I commanded this. So that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about being rude to each other. He says, when, when they come in, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also. When you have done all that you were commanded, here's what you say. We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. We've only done what we ought to have done anyway. You, know, you come in from the peat field and sheep keeping and you're just so proud of yourself. And Master, you're just so lucky to have me. What? I gave you the job. That's what I commanded you to do. When you come in, have that understanding. We've just done what we have been commanded to do. Now, the disciples said, increase our faith. And Jesus gives them the story about going out, working in the fields, and coming back and saying, well, we've just done what we were asked to do. Jesus is saying, more faith isn't the issue. Faithfulness is the issue. You see, faithfulness is that quality whereby God and others know they can rely upon you to do what you ought to do and what needs to be done. Faithfulness is that quality whereby God and others will know you to be trustworthy and reliable in doing what needs to be done. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. A lot of us grew up in the church. We grew up listening to the Bible stories and singing little Zacchaeus and, you know, all those other things. And so we grew up with the Bible stories and, and uh, we got out of high school and we were pretty proud of our biblical knowledge because after all, we had graduated from Sunday school. So, but, uh, you know, and we went off to college. Some of us, you know, we went off to college and in college, somebody invited us to a Bible study in one of the dorm rooms and we sat down and we started talking about the Bible, you know, and, and, uh, and as we're talking about it, the, the scripture started to come alive. And these stories that we had heard and, and, and studied about in, in, in Sunday school, suddenly there it is in the Scripture, and it's meaningful, and it's real, and, and, and I'm falling in love with the Word of God. And then Jesus is no longer just a name, and he's no longer just an idea and a concept, but he becomes a living presence in my life. And suddenly for the first time, I am head over heels in love with Christ. And you know the euphoria of that moment. 
you know, the, the, just the heightened sense of excitement that Jesus is so real in my life. And you come out of the dorm room and you walk through the campus and you just know Jesus is real. He's alive. You tell everybody about Jesus. You start witnessing about Jesus. You, you write letters home. Dear mom and dad, I've discovered Jesus. It's wonderful. Your parents are crying. They're so, so thrilled for you. You come back into church and you start to worship and you look around and you say, these people don't know Jesus. Not the way I do. I grew up in this church. They never told me about this. We told you every day of your life. You weren't listening. <laughs> you were texting. <laughs> but we understand that because we went through it ourselves. You know, sort of the... the uh, um, I'm just going to say it's the way we were. All right, with... <laughs> But, you know, so we have this great love for Jesus and great, wonderful love for Jesus. Oh, great. And that's real. And so the pastor's looking at that and he's saying, wow, here's this kid. He's come back on fire for Jesus. I'd love for the other kids to see this. I'd love for them to say, see, this is what we've been talking about. You know, look here. Here's what it is. So he goes and says, you know, praise God. You've fallen in love with Christ and your life belongs to him. Uh, I tell you what, would you like to help out with the youth program? Maybe you could, you could help us out. We're having an event. We need, need a few people to chaperone, do some good. I'm sorry, I'm busy. Oh, oh, you, you have a Bible study you're going to? Or you're, you're taking an online course in theology? No, we're going to see the latest movie. Really? Really? Well, um, some other time, what, what we have is we have a vacation Bible school, and it'd be great if you could come in and help with the children and do, do activities with them. I mean, they just look up to, to people your age, and, you know, would you just be a part of vacation Bible school? No, I think I have something to do. My friends and I are going to hike the Appalachian Trail. Oh, okay, that seems really important. Uh, well, well, could... Could you maybe take part in children's worship and help little ones worship this Jesus you love? Oh, I couldn't do that. I can't obligate myself. The faith is real. The faithfulness needs to grow and needs to increase. And that's where a lot of us are. You know, we're just luxuriating in this, in this experience, the love of Jesus and the filling of the Spirit and all that. But when it comes time to do something that God has asked us to do, suddenly we're too busy. What, you want me to go out and plow that field? Are you crazy? Do you know what happens to people who plow fields? They get mud on their shoes. Not only that, do you know what's in that mud? People pay money to put that stuff on that mud and it gets on my shoes. You expect me to go plow the field? Come on. Ten sheep? Do you know how dumb sheep are? <laughs> of course, if they're so dumb, why are you taking care of them? But that's, that's another story. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just, you know, that, that's beneath me. That's, that, I, I, I need something better and more interesting than that. Jesus said, no, you go out and you work in the fields, you tend the sheep, and when you come in, you just say, Master, thanks, thanks for having confidence in me. Thank you for letting me be a part of the work of the kingdom. 
Jesus told another story. I, I won't have you turn to it. It's in uh, uh, Matthew 21. Um, and he was talking to the religious leaders, you know, the guys who are really proud of their, their relationship with God. And uh, he said, what do you think? A man had two sons. And the man went to the first son and he said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. The son said to him, I will not. <laughs> now, folks, my dad would not have killed me if I said that. But I would have wished he had because, you know, um, I don't know what's in this guy. He turns to his dad and says, no, I'm not going to go work in the vineyard. You know, don't bother me, dad. It's like a beatnik. You know, don't, don't bother me. You know, you've got it. I'm going to. But later on, it says he changed his mind. You know, something worked in his head. He said, you know, Dad asked me to work in the vineyard, and, you know, actually, it's not that bad a deal, and Dad's looking for that. He's relying on me. So he gets up, and he goes to the field, and he works in the vineyard. Well, story continues. And the man went to the other son, and he said the same thing. Son, go work in the vineyard. And this son said, I go, sir. <laughs> That's what it says. I go, sir. All right, I'm going to find out where you are culturally in American culture. This guy reminds me of Eddie Haskell. <laughs> All right. Here, here, <laughs> I got half of you. Yes, sir, I will go work, sir. I would be glad to go work for you, sir. Nice tie, sir. You're looking especially dapper today. <laughs> I'll go, sir. Sure. And then the scripture says, he says, I'll go and uh, did not go. Sure, Dad, I'll go. Uh, let's see what's on TV. And Jesus looked at these guys and he says, all right, now you've got these two sons. One says, no, no, I'm not going to go. Eh, you know, I really ought to. Okay, I'll go. The other guy says, great, great idea, Dad. Love it. Count on me. Doesn't do it. Jesus asked a very simple question. It's not a trick question at all. He says, which of the two did the will of his father? The answer, the first. The one who got up out of his seat and actually did what the father asked him to do. Now, here's, here's the thing. Jesus brings it all together. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Those who have said no to me in their life, in their morality, in their relationships, when they come by faith and do as commanded and surrender their lives, they get in the kingdom while you guys here, while you're talking and talking and talking, they get in the kingdom before you do. Because the issue is faithfulness. The religious leaders of Judaism, they had faith in God. They believed in God. But they didn't have faithfulness and obedience uh, to what Jesus was saying. So faithfulness is the quality whereby God can rely upon us to do what we need to do, even in difficult circumstances. You know, I'm, I'm really happy that, that uh, a few sermons ago, Randy pointed us to 1 Corinthians 13. You remember that? Uh, we were dealing with patience, and he said, you know, there in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it says, love is patient. 
No, that was great because the next one, the next week I had kindness and love is patient, love is kind. So, you know, we, we really got rolling in there. But in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 7, you know, he's talking about all the things that love is. Uh, Paul says, love bears all things, believes all things. The word for belief in Greek is the same as the word for faith. All right, that's what you have to know. So you could translate it. Love has faith in all things. Love is faithful in all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now look, when the Scripture says love believes all things, it's not saying love is gullible. Tell love whatever you, you, you like and they have to believe you. It says, no, in every circumstance, in all things, love is faithful. Love keeps going and going, and love is reliable. See, faithfulness is that quality whereby God and others can rely upon us to do the right things. When it's hard to do it, you know, sometimes it's not easy to forgive. It's not easy to forgive, especially when you know they're the person that's wrong, not me. It is not easy to extend the hand when it's been slapped and struck and rejected so often. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. It's not easy to keep going back again and again and again to help someone, listen to someone, counsel to someone when they keep ignoring what you have to say and, and keep ignoring you. It's not easy. But faithfulness is the quality of going back and loving again and again and again and again. That's why when Peter said, Jesus, how often do I have to forgive? You know, seven times. Jesus says, no, I think it's 70 times seven. And by the way, Peter, I don't think you can count that high. It's just an extravagant forgiveness because that's what faithfulness is for us. And so um, the disciples said, increase our faith. Jesus said, well, you really need to think about faithfulness, Really? And what the master has commanded. Now, I want you to turn, if you, if you like, I, I hope you will, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the faith chapter, uh, the faith hall of fame chapter. Um, it's got uh, a list of, of people from the Old Testament history uh, whom God called out and they were obedient and they did as God asked them to, to do. And so this chapter is a great and wonderful sort of display of what faith is in the life of those who believe. Um, and, and so in Hebrews 11, 1, uh, we, we read this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Um, let me just for a moment invite you to read that word faith this way. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is the assurance of things hoped for. Faithfulness is the conviction of things not seen. And then he goes on and he talks about uh, uh, people who were faithful uh, before God. He, he talks about um, Abraham. Abraham, who was called to go out to a land uh, that God would show him. And so uh, he was faithful by going out and starting the journey for a land. He didn't know where he was going. He just knew God was taking him there. And Abraham, who by faith sacrificed Isaac, offered up even his own son. 
talks about Moses who despised the pleasures of sin and the pleasures of the, of, of the court of Pharaoh so that he might identify with the people of God. Moses then, who being faithful to the commandments of God, observed the Passover, led the people out of, out of the uh, slavery of Egypt, led them through the Red Sea. And on and on it goes. He, he keeps talking about all these folks who were faithful in that regard. Now, if you have your text in front of you, look at verse 32, Hebrews 11:32, And he says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. He says, you know, the, the list just keeps going on and on and on of these people who were faithful. Verse 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms. That's the kind of faith I want conquer kingdoms, enforce justice. You know, if I had that kind of faith, we could enforce justice. There'd be justice all around us. Obtain promises. Stop the mouths of lions. Wouldn't you like to do that? You know, here, kitty, kitty. <laughs> Thunk. Now get off the couch. <laughs> okay. Stop the mouths of lions. Quench the power of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. We're made strong out of weakness. Became mighty in war. Put foreign armies to flight. This is the kind of faith I want. The kind of faith that would stand strong and have these victories. Why, why if I had that kind of faith, they'd be begging me to write books. They'd be pleading with me to be on the conference uh, uh, circuit. They would just beg me to make videotapes so they could sell them through Lifeway and have discipleship training classes and everybody would talk about me and you'd go up to your pastor and say you should hear what Wayne said you know that, that kind of thing <laughs> now, oh if I had the kind of faith verse 35 women received back their dead by resurrection read that closely they received their dead back but by resurrection their loved ones died and all they had was the promise of God to raise us from the dead that's all they had. The loss was still there. There's still an empty chair at the table. Their arms were still empty. They wanted to hold their loved ones. And all they had was the promise of the resurrection. He said, by faith, these women received their dead in the resurrection. And when Jesus comes and he calls us by name, and those of us who are asleep in Christ shall be raised first. And so shall we be with him always. You know, amen. I mean, that, 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 just that phrase, women received their dead back by resurrection. That's that incredible. But here's what happened. Verse 35, second sentence. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went in, about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. I love this next line. Of whom the world was not worthy. Of whom this world that we're so impressed with that world, this world, is not worthy of such saints with such faithfulness unto death before God. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. That's what faithfulness is. When it's hard and when it hurts and when it's beyond us 
and when we can't do it. That's why Galatians 5, 22, 5 is such a rich teaching. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is faithfulness. Not the manufactured attitude of the believer is faithfulness, not by summoning up enough gumption to, to, to work things out is faithfulness, but faithfulness is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. The Holy Spirit who awakened you to Jesus in the first place. I mean, one day you couldn't care less about Christ. The next day you fell in love with him. What happened? You didn't change your mind. God changed your mind. You fell in love with Christ. That was the work of the Holy Spirit, changing your heart. And so it just bubbles forth in that confession of faith, Jesus Christ is Lord. You start living to the glory of the Father. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brings about the faithfulness in our lives. That's why we believe in the Holy Spirit. That's why we preach the Holy Spirit. That's why we know that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The gift, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is faithfulness in our lives. Let me suggest just, just real quickly just a few things how that works out. See, the Holy Spirit gives us faithfulness by giving us the knowledge and the security and the assurance of our adoption into the family of God. Uh, just earlier on in Galatians uh, 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. That's the foundation of faithfulness. God is our heavenly Father. He's not a philosophical concept. He's not a religious figure. God is our Father. He is our Abba. Secondly, the Holy Spirit teaches us and reminds us of who Christ is and the truth of God. In uh, John 14, 26, Jesus said, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is why we abide in the Word. This is why we live in the Word and study the Word. This is why we get together and let the Holy Spirit teach us through one another so that the Word of God would be saturated in our heads. Now, folks, I forget a lot of things. I forget more and more things as time goes on. I'm starting to forget the fact that I forgot things. I used to remember that I knew it, but now I can't. Okay, you get the point. But here's the deal. At just the right moment when I need that word from the Father, the Holy Spirit reminds us of his word, a precious promise, a precious truth. The Holy Spirit brings it before us. Look, folks, don't worry. Don't worry when they drag you before kings and governors and judges and they're going to put you on trial. Don't worry about what you're going to say because in that hour, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Brings to your remembrance the Word of God and who Christ is. And the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. You know, we couldn't get along without people praying for us. One of the greatest privileges of being a pastor of a church like this is a lot of folks are praying for me. Some are praying that I'd leave, but most are praying that I would stay. But I tell you, when we have prayer meeting, and every now and then, voice will just drift over from the other side of the chapel. We pray in small groups, and I'll hear someone say, I pray for the pastor. That person has no idea what I need. 
but God does. And here's, here's the amazing part. It says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Folks, when you're at your wit's end and you can't take it anymore, when you're absolutely frazzled and you can't go another step and you are just so assaulted by the things of life that you don't know what to say and where to turn, the Holy Spirit is praying for you before the Father's throne. And this prayer is so deep that words could not express it, even if you could find them. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us and the Holy Spirit gives us power. Jesus said to his disciples just before he ascended into heaven, Acts 1 he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll receive that ability. You will be empowered to be faithful even in the most difficult of situations. The Holy Spirit gives us the capacity. You see, the life of faithfulness isn't just some people have more willpower than others. The life of faithfulness is that God gives His Holy Spirit to every believer. Every believer. And the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. The quality of doing what needs to be done, and God and others can count on you to do it. I pray the Lord would make us faithful. I pray the Lord would give us hearts and lives that, that would just rejoice, rejoice in the work of the Spirit to make us obedient servants, servants who honor the Master, servants who do what needs to be done for the Master so that we will be found faithful in our walk with Christ. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something God is doing in your life when you respond to him in faith. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, so much of the Christian life is beyond us. So much of the Christian life is more than we can handle, more than we can understand, more than we can do. But Father, all of the Christian life is what you have designed for us. And all of the Christian life is doable because of your grace. Father, I'm praying for the person here this morning who has, has not experienced that moment when Christ comes into the heart. I'm, I, I just ask your spirit to open the eyes and see the need and confess the Lord. Father, I'm praying for that brother, that sister in Christ, who this morning has doubts about self and doubts about the ability to persevere. Father, I, I pray the Holy Spirit would work and cause us all together to be faithful before him. Father, we know it's your work, not ours. We know it's your glory, not ours. Father, we know it's what you are doing, not us. So, Father, for your glory, get, make us faithful. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.